Good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor John Jay. I'm the lead pastor here at FBC Pasadena. Thank you, choir and worship teams and kids as well. Okay. Okay. We are teaching today on the Trinity. And I'm so excited. And you'll see why in a little bit. Um, we are in the middle of a teaching focus around these kind of big, basic ideas of faith. So we've talked about uh, God. Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And this week we are going to talk about the Trinity, which is sort of the relationship of those first three teachings uh, in this next sermon. And I'm going to try and do this with kids present, which means I have to somehow make sense of a very strange theological concept, try my very best not to be a heretic, because that's always a good goal when you're preaching, uh, and also to make sure that this is a way that everybody can kind of enter into this teaching together. So let me start with this. Let's throw that first uh, slide up, Tarek. All right. A few years ago, about 13 years ago or so, there was this group, uh, Christian body, a denomination that had their big annual gathering. So we had our regional annual gathering here yesterday for American Baptists in the Southwest. And so we had hundreds of folks in here from all over Hawaii, Arizona, uh, Southern California. It was beautiful. There's this other denomination and they met about 13 years ago. And they've been working on this project together. It was sort of a revitalization of the language of Trinity. So typically when we say the triune God, so Trinity is uh, three, right? Like tricycle. Uh, it's, well, let's just see where you all are with this. If you were to say, what are the three persons of the Trinity? What would your, what would your response be to that? Y'all, we're good to go. Somebody want to come up and pray us out of here. Um, yeah, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's typically the way we think about Trinity. However... That language may not always hold meaning for people who maybe didn't grow up with it, folks who are coming into the faith new, or folks who are coming out of different cultures. And so uh, this denomination is the Presbyterian Church. They decided to go through this project and this study where they were going to revitalize the language. Uh, they brought this, well, all denominations, it's this thing where like the best way to evidence the Spirit's work in the world is to take a vote on the Spirit. And so we do this too, right? It's a part of participatory church work. So they took a vote on whether or not they would receive this language. Um, and it was really, I would say, like poetic, right? It was unfolding sort of language. It was generous. It kind of had multiple way ins to the story. But they voted uh, 282 uh, to the yeas and 212 to the nays. There was an article that was written about this in the LA Times. And uh, Jeanette, late David Scholler, was referenced in this article. I don't know if you remember this in 2013. Yeah, so uh, Jeanette's husband. And this struck me how difficult it is to talk about Trinity. This group was just trying to open it up, trying to be hospitable with language, but it caused a lot of sort of consternation. And uh, maybe that's going to happen for you today. So you already said it. Uh, Trinity is Father, Son, and Spirit. And even writing it down starts to sort of play with the meaning of it. I mean, for instance, in this designation, which one comes first? But maybe the reason you say that comes first is because of the way we say it, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or because I wrote it at the top. And things that are high up, those are more important. It's like first place stands up here and third place is down here. So Father, Son, and Spirit. But what if we, if we tried to write this in such a way visually that it made a little more sense or textured it a little bit? So maybe we would do it this way. Still got God expressed as Father, Son, and Spirit, the persons of the Trinity. Um, there's other ways that we could write this. Let's go back one. 
Oh, maybe we lost the other one. The other one is if there's God here and then this sort of radiating around Father, Son, and Spirit. What I want to show you today is maybe a different set of images, ideas, and ways to enter into what we would call Trinitarian theology. If that doesn't make your heart sing, hopefully after this teaching, your heart will sing a little bit more. Um, but I do want to show you an image, a picture. You notice I put picture in quotes because um, I looked up just really quickly. What are the common, what we would call Trinitarian heresies? And I remember this in school. Anybody remember from seminary having to study the Trinitarian heresies? Anybody? Anybody? And you, every time I learned about it, I was like, oh, oh, I'm a heretic, right? Because I, I kind of believe a little bit of all of these. Trying to sort of wrap our minds around uh, three and one at the same time, we're already in the language of either poetry or paradox or contradiction. So how I was handed the idea of Trinity is um, maybe the way that you have tried to explore it. So I'm going to show you what this feels like for me. I'm not leaving, don't worry. We started off these teachings with God, right? And uh, we complicated it a little bit, but there is a sense in which when we talk about God, we have a like, kind of some firm footing. So imagine this is us trying to do God talk, which we call theology. And it's just this one stand and platform. And I can kind of move around. I can be playful on it. I don't feel in danger of toppling over in my thinking and my grasping for what it means when we say God or the divine. Are any of you feeling a bit of anxiety just as I stand here? No, like this feels really, really solid. Second week... We talked about who? What we call the second person of the Trinity. Who's that? Jesus? That's always the right answer in church, y'all. Jesus. It sounds like storm clouds happening over here, which just makes me a little bit nervous. Perlman, if you happen to know what that sound is, I'm happy. It's always the guitar. Jesus. We take the idea, the concept, the person of Jesus Christ, and we try in some way to layer that over on top of our idea of God. It gets a little bit more complicated because if you remember, we talked about Jesus, the two persons of Jesus, both fully human and fully divine. And so now we have, as we start to do theology or God talk, you have God the Father, then you have God the Son. And so then if I hop up here, like you start to feel a little bit more funky, right? This doesn't feel quite as solid theologically. And anytime I'm talking about the relationship between God and Christ, the Father and the Son, it feels a little bit like this. I can still, you feeling a little nervous? It still works though. So, week three. <laughs> we talked about the Spirit. And so I found the most rickety stool in the building because often when I, when we start to talk about the spirit that was last week, it gets even more slippery and ethereal. 
And so, y'all... It's all carpet underneath me. It's so soft. (laughs) This is what it feels like to talk about the Trinity. I feel uneven. And here's why. Each of these sort of images representing this kind of static, unchanging, and complicated person. God the Father... God the Son, God the Spirit. And anytime we come to talk about the triune God, at least for me, it feels like I have to climb across and then up on top of this really precarious set of meanings. Okay? So this is Trinity. Okay. Let's leave that here. No, please don't. That's ridiculous. Um, this is often for me at least, where the anxiety comes in doing theology, in doing God talk, is uh, complexity stacks. And when complexity stacks, it doesn't feel inviting. It feels really precarious. Which is why when we start to talk about tr- the Trinity, it's for a lot of us, and me included, we're not quite sure how to enter in. What it looks like, what we mean when we say this, but I'm going to give you just another picture. This is the one I want you to hold on to for today. So I need three people who are, yeah, I'll pick them. Um, Kiani, come on up. Uh, Ruthie. And one more. Dan, did you raise your hand? No, you didn't. One more. Come on. I'll pick them if you don't. Oh, yeah. Ada, come on up. This is great. And we have all ladies here to be our sort of trinity. Okay. Oh, I don't want y'all to fall off. Could y'all please? Who wants to get up there first? No, I'm joking. Don't go up there. That's crazy talk. So y'all come down here. All right. So y'all stand right here. Come on down. And stand in just like a circle, facing each other. Here we go. Come on. We're going to need three new people. Here, Ruthie. All right. Here's what y'all are going to do. You're just going to toss it back and forth. Y'all know how to play this game? You just hit it this way. Yeah, and then y'all just keep going. Don't hit it hard. Be really kind to each other. Keep it going. Come on. They want to watch how this happens. All right. Now go grab it and throw it back in the circle. This starts to feel closer to me to what Trinity might look like, what it might feel like. There's something... uh, Relational happening here. There's something active happening here. There's something playful, connective. Y'all are doing great. Here's the question. Y'all keep going. Keep going. Which one of these two makes you feel anxious? Just point. It's over here, right? And which one of these images makes you feel like you would like to participate? It's this one, right? All right, give them a hand. All right, thank y'all. Ada, Ruthie, Kiani. I want to invite you into this image of the Trinity. Where Father, Son, and Spirit 
are in this kind of relational web. The word that often gets associated with this is this fancy word perichoresis, which is the divine dance or the circle dance. It's this give and receive. This generous inflowing. We're in God's inner being. There is this generous exchange happening where, like, you never just held the thing, right? Every time you would bat it. And same with Ruthie, and she would pass it on, and then Kiani would pass it on. There is this sharing, and then there is this generous receiving. What this looks like is we could use the language of, of love, which love is a connecting kind of verb or emotion. Love necessitates partners or a community. When we talk about the Trinity, what we mean at the base level is a relationship. This is a, is a math problem. And no one falls in love with a math problem. Okay? So you have two images that we're going to start with that we're working with here today. Oh. We'll leave it here. That works. Are y'all with me so far? There's this question underneath these two images, which is the world made up of nouns or verbs? This is, oh, where are you going with it? I'm afraid you're gonna do no, give it back. They need it. I might I'm jump back on it. Sit on it again. I won't. You can have the balloon, though. <laughs> there are different ways to know things, different ways to comprehend reality. Still there, right? Okay. Is the world made up of nouns or verbs? These are nouns. God is Father, God is Son, and God is Spirit. And, and nouns are one way that you can kind of understand reality. In fact, it's a very Western way to understand reality. We sort of get this understanding that the world is made up of things, of substance, of forms. This is Plato. This is Greek philosophy. And a lot of what we think about as Christian theology, it sort of emanates out of this, what we would call a platonic worldview. Now, um, somebody from this side of the room, tell me what a noun is, because you're still in school and you're still learning about nouns. Moses? A person, a place, or a thing, yeah. So it's not a bad understanding of Trinity, because the person of God expressed trinitarily is Father, Son, and Spirit. So somebody tell me what a verb is. Judah. An action. And in an action, oh, give me a, give me a verb. Running. Running. Who runs? You run. Where? On the field. So it's you running on the field. You've now got a person. You've now got a surface. You've got grass. You've got movement. Verbs speak about relationship. They are dynamic words. Nouns can be very static words. The word being can be a noun. Being. Or it can be a verb, being this sort of becoming state. I want to invite you into a verb understanding of the Trinity. Verbs are often how folks who maybe have a more Eastern way of understanding the world would see the world. In fact, they've done studies, Western kids and and kids from China, and the way that they learn language. Kids from the West can learn nouns like a really, really fast clip. A lot of kids coming out of China are learning verbs really, really really quickly. Uh, and they see the world in slightly different ways. So let me ask this question to y'all. Um, one of these things is not like the other one. Which one? Somebody raise your hand. Which one doesn't belong? Who said grass? Who says grass? 
So then you would group, if you were to have to circle two, which of these two belong together, what two are you circling? The cow and the chicken. And, and I would ask why. Why? Because they're both animals. You're classifying them based on a, a kind of noun understanding of what they are. A cow is an animal. A chicken is an animal. So they must belong to one another. If you ask this question to Western kids, they circle the two animals. If you ask this kid, this question to kids come out of an Eastern understanding of the world, they circle the grass and the cow. Why? Because cows eat grass. That's how they're related to one another. There's a verbal action relationship between the two. They are in communion with one another, you could say. Nouns are static. Verbs are dynamic. Again, pushing you into an understanding of the Trinity as action, as movement, as flow. And relieving us of the pressure of having to figure out the math equation of how these substances relate to one another, which often leads you into space of precarious heresy. Let me show you how this works in a system. We've got nouns. We're going to look for the nouns in this. And then we've got verbs. Let me show you one sentence. Okay. The boy. That's a noun. It's got a definite article in front of it. Boy, pretty clear. Now, this could be a true sentence, just like, that's it, right there. That is a full, understandable statement. The boy. Um, Moses, stand up. Behold. You're not a boy. You're a young man. All right. Well, it still counts. The young man. Just, there it is, noun form. You can sit down because this next part doesn't apply to you. Here's a verb. Kicked. Already you can feel that something's going to happen because what's your next question? What's it going to kick? What's it going to kick? Don't, don't, don't get, well, you could guess. Somebody guess what's going to, what the boy's going to kick. <laughs> He's going to kick himself. That's kind of hard to do. <laughs> kick a ball. Yeah. There is this, oh, there's this call for more information. Let's see what he kicks. I know. I didn't write the sentence. I did. The boy kicked the puppy. Now, why do you assume that that's a bad thing? Because there's more that could be said. Like it, So already now we've got tension. We've got movement. We've got action. Can you feel it? But you all feel bad. What if the next thing says, the boy kicked the puppy, the treat? Now, it's a badly constructed sentence, but it could still work. Or the boy kicked the puppy, a ball. Then it's like a very generous statement. That's not what it says. It's... <laughs> Now we have a full sentence. <laughs> and if this doesn't help you understand the Trinity, I just can't help you. <laughs> this actually happened. We had a puppy. The puppy's name was Albie. Albie was a little bitty white schnauzer. We went to a friend's house. They had a pool. And so this is like the edge of the pool, and that's the water. And then Albie's here. And then our friend's son, who's about, I don't know, four or five at the time, walked up and, and yelled this. <laughs> <laughs> Kicked Albie into the pool. <laughs> Let's do another sentence. You know this one. God. It's this noun, right? Sense of being, sense of person. And maybe it communicates something to you. Uh, but that communication can sometimes feel a little bit vague. 
Uh, this sentence is a very famous verse. You know it. So let's walk through it real quick. This is your noun. Here's your verb. God loved. All of a sudden now we've got love. Love becomes the defining characteristic of God in the New Testament and throughout Scripture as we study it, research it, feel it, live it. Love presupposes someone who is loving and something that is loved. Presupposes relationship. This is not the image to me of love. Uh, this, the, the game that the three were playing here, this is, this is love, this is flow, and this is generosity. So now all of a sudden, you have movement. And the question would be in this sentence... Which one of these words is carrying the weight of describing who God is in the Trinity? How we understand the movement, flow, action, verbiage of God expressed in Father, Son, and Spirit. And you know, this is, of course, the verse. For God so loved the world. To understand Trinity, it's often not helpful to try and divide and slice up and partition out all of these different aspects of the divine, which is often the way that we think about research, about understanding, is like you take the thing apart into its disparate pieces, and then you can study them. Here's the, here's this, you know, oh, I shouldn't describe a computer. I don't know how computers work. I think there's a switch, there's a motherboard. Does that sound right? Circuit board? And there's a, right, this is already breaking down. But to be drawn into the image of Trinity, that sounds, feels, looks like love. In Genesis, the piece of scripture we read, talks about us being created in the image of God. Image and likeness of Elohim. And the verbs and the nouns in this verse are all plural. It's been a strange thing that interpreters have had to wrestle with. Why in a monotheistic, one God religion, Yahweh revealed at Sinai, is the creation story understood as these plural forms of these words. And of course, Trinity is not explicitly spelled out in Scripture, right? There's no verse that says, uh, the Trinity equals, uh, thus says Paul the Apostle. We discern Trinity over time in church history. It becomes part of our foundational theology, but we work it as we work the text. So over time, Christians read backwards through the Old Testament all the way to the beginning, and they say, wait, who is present at creation? At some level, the answer to that was God, Yahweh or Elohim. But if you read it again, you can hear the language of, and the spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. So then you have spirit there. And then if you read John 1, 1, it says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word was there at the beginning of all things of creation. And then the word was was Christ, was Jesus, and the word became flesh. So all of a sudden you have, sort of vibrating under the surface of this text, the three persons of the Trinity. And we are created in the image of. It is really hard to understand the generous, loving, inflowing and outflowing grace of God when the only way to understand the divine is in this hierarchy of beings, with something at the top and other things. But whenever there is this give and receive, there might be a place for us to enter into the Trinity. We are having a new way to understand reality happening right now all across different ways of knowing and learning. Science, religion, philosophy, sociology, all of these things are sort of renegotiating how the world is made. Is it nouns or is it verbs? 
So I want to show you a different picture of the Trinity. And again, it doesn't look like this one. It looks like this one. Uh, does anybody know what this picture is? It's taken a few years ago. It's of an atom. So this uh, student at a university wanted to capture with like regular camera equipment what an atom looks like. And so she suspends it in between these two. Again, I'm going to forget all the words. So all my JPL friends and Caltech friends just forgive it. Uh, I think these two electrodes and sort of suspends one atom there and then shoots a laser toward it to illuminate it and then sets a camera on a long exposure to catch all the light. And so you can't really see it, it exists right between those two, those two points. Um, this is what it looks like if you zoom in close. Again, you can barely see it. Uh, we're trying to figure out what the world is made of. And for a long time, it was understood the world was made of these sort of solid, pure, principled forms. But the more and more we learn about reality, the more we realize at the core of things is movement, is flow, is connection, interpenetration, relationship, right? Like a spooky action at a distance, quantum entanglement. I don't know what that means, but I do know that it means that stuff is way more connected than we realized. The fabric of reality is conversational because the core of reality is God in Trinitarian form. God's self in conversation, in generous inflowing and outflowing. And in that conversation of love and generosity, it pulls creation in such that we partake in this grounding reality, which is giving and receiving. It's invitational. Here's my image of what we kind of think sort of the smallest basic understandings of our atomic world might be, which is this movement around, this flow. We have to get really small and really curious to see it this way. Or we can get really big. Right? Even the universe itself is not static, but we, we find it to be expanding, expansive, always moving and responding to what? I have this saying that I'll hand to you at the end here. Um, generosity, the engine of the universe. When I say generosity, what, what I'm saying there is when I see, sense, try and wrap my mind around Trinity, the Trinity, what I feel at the core of it is a generous inflowing and outflowing of love. This is who God is, at God's core essence. Not like waiting for things to go right or wrong and then responding to them. God, somewhere up in heaven with binoculars, taking watch and waiting and then responding when we do or don't respond or act in a certain way. But God in God's essence and core in divine conversation and relationship all the time. Energy, flow, and movement. And then for us to enter into the Trinitarian flow is for us to step into that with openness. What I have found about the Trinity is that you can, it's very hard to like nail it down, to explain it. And it feels, again, like standing up here on this really topsy-turvy physical structure. 
But God is inviting. In the New Testament, it begins to talk about our indwelling within God. And then God indwelling within us. Which means, like, if we had the three friends here throwing the balloon back and forth, what does it mean to engage with the divine? If not to jump into that flow and goof off. This understanding of who God is at God's core, it does change things. There are ways to know the deep truths of the universe that exist beyond our language, that exist beyond our ability to name and claim and pin down. But it doesn't mean that we can't enter into them. I did not have to tell these three friends much, but just here, take this and toss it back and forth. And that movement back and forth creates an energy that you all felt and your hearts like moved toward. God comes to us in a way that is fitting so that we feel ourselves pulled toward it. Seeking relationship all of the time because God is a God's core relationship. That's enough for now. It's enough for now. If you found yourself coming to this idea and concept of the Trinity and you feel like you're tottering on a stool, set on a table, set on a platform, so you back off for lack of precise language, I'm going to ask you to set that image aside. Try and hold this verb image in your mind. Known only by participating, by trusting and stepping in. In a moment, we're going to have communion together. And it's a great sort of outward sign of what that generous core of the universe is like. Jesus shows us in this sacrament, this movement of grace from God toward us. The sharing, just like the the balloon, right? Body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. And you're going to receive it like a balloon, like this grace and this love. You're going to take it into you, like breathing, consuming in the best sense of the word. But I'm going to ask you to hold into your mind the movement that happens after the balloon is bounced to you, which is you bouncing it back out, stepping into the triune God, becoming communion to the world. You, broken open. You, poured out. And then the world will receive. And if the world is in God, responding in its sacred essence, then that movement will continue out. If we catch it, things would start to look and feel more like God's dream, which we call the kingdom of heaven. Every time, and our kids are really good at this. Mary, you're really good at this. You're right at the front. You put your hand 
on someone you love in kindness, in intention. You can feel what is moving through you toward them. Have you ever had a hug from Mary? Yeah? Always ask to give a hug. (laughs) But when you receive it from somebody who you trust, there's something you are handing over that you would name as, as God without language maybe to say it. All of the time. This is why whenever you go to like give somebody a five and they miss, it feels so terrible. Right? Other day we were here for the ABC gathering and I went, of course I did. It was some point in worship and I went by and like tried to give a whole bunch of people a five and only like two out of the 10 did. And I felt terrible. We yearn for connection, for belonging. For relationship. Loneliness is so terrifying. But at the center and core of reality is love being moved around and about. Father, Son, and Spirit. No anxiety. No fear. No selfishness. Just sharing. This is the image you have been made in. The likeness of the divine. Friends, this is good news. So would you pray with me, and then we will share the table. God, Father, Son, and Spirit, God for us, God alongside us, God within us, we confess we do not always have the right words to fully describe who you are, how you are. But you continually knock and ask us to respond and somehow to enter into a conversation and then a set of promises and then a life. Where we are full of who you are. So, Make us more of who you've made us to be in your image and likeness. That we would be generous with our affections toward one another, toward this world, and toward you. Trusting that at your core is a generosity that flows back. Open hands all of the time, God. Give us open hands. Beggars, bowls, begging to be filled by your grace. Not grabbing or grasping and sharing it right away. Forgive us when we keep you small, we keep you safe, we keep you stacked and precarious and scary. But you are good and inviting and exciting. And for this we give thanks. This is our prayer. In the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all God's people said, Amen. God comes to us in a way that's fitting. This is the language of Aquinas.